Guys, welcome to the Church Folk Revolution. It's your host, TJ, and I'm, I'm not going to waste no time today. First up is the princess of the revolution. She's the one with the afro and her fist in the air talking about revolution. It's Sister Liberty! What's up, folks? You know, we don't die. We not only multiply, but we unify because we got our brother, Brother Frankie V. I I can't tell you how excited I am about this guy. E- this e- world. It's like, oh, my gosh, we're not we're not the only aliens out here on this world. <laughs> got, some of them are actual scholars that are have actually published stuff that you've, always, you've been thinking for a while. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I, I'm just happy Monday. Everybody just can't wait to jump into the show. General of the Revolution from Atlanta, Georgia. Not your typical we just called him Kevin or Kevin Oliver Spirit. Kevin! <laughs> Better to fight for something than live for nothing. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome, Brother Kev. Thank you for being here, man. I appreciate you and Liberty and all your hard work and research that really made me aware of our guest today. We have a, a awesome guest today's Liberty. Well, we have, um, we have um, now one of my super favorite authors in Brothers in Christ, Yes. Frank Viola, yes. you know, I for for the past couple of weeks I've been worrying y'all to death about this book, Pagan Christianity, and even the series include which includes the Reimagining Bank. Church, and then there's also a, a church by George Barnas, which is Revolution, and just you know, it, it I, I'm so excited about this book because it really there's nothing like getting what you've the beliefs that you've held or the concerns that you felt for a long time confirmed by a lot of different people who are seeing the same thing, and it was very therapeutic for me to read the book and also to. Mm-hmm. It, to under, have a have a scholarly understanding and a historical understanding of why the churchianity church is so impotent right now, and seeing kind of really where the where the sources of it may come from, and and mm-hmm. um as a, as someone who wants to reform, someone who's a revolutionary, that's serious about the things of God, and, and loves loves Christ more than they love the institution. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. So it's just when it, when I read this book, I was like, "OMG, this is this is what I'm talking about right here." And so you must have God must have been been done something wanted us con- to connect because we said, you know, the revolution we don't die, we multiply and we unify, and we hear and, and then um, Frank Viola hear about this is wonderful. This I'm is happy. unbelievable. And I reached out to the brother and he accepted mm-hmm. my invitation, and I'm so happy, brother Cav. And and and, and not to mention, brother Cav. Liberty made the book a required reading. Like she was like my English teacher. Like 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 there's gonna be a test on this book. <laughs> everybody, everybody, all the Revolution family, we need to read the book because there will be a test. So Liberty, that, thank you. That little red book. So much. Let's get right into prayer and let's get our guest on this show. Okay, we go go to the, Lord. We just thank you, God, for uh, for just being our Lord and Savior, God. And I thank you, Lord, for being. Um, for the Holy Spirit, just being a spirit of truth, oh God. And help, thank you for giving us minds and the ability to choose, oh God. Thank you for the way that you've, you've where you've brought us in our Christian walk, um, the, the, where we have been able to just see you for who you are and experience your tangible presence and your, the, and, and your life-changing power, oh God. But what falling in love with you does, God, it frees us from sin and, and it makes us passionate about you and other people, oh God. And, and it's our desire that everyone who calls the name of Jesus experiences that power, but there's so many stumbling blocks in the way, things that we've made, things that we've done over years, over decades, over millennia, God, that, that have been stumbling blocks, oh God, and just like the doctor assesses what the illness is so we can do the proper things to get healthy, Lord, we, that is our desire that the people of God, the kingdom of God, you know, gets diagnosed, it gets healed, 
from from these 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 spiritual stumbling blocks, these these um, habits, these these traditions, oh God, that have taken the place of of you, and they don't even realize it, God. Mm. And, and we just pray, Lord, that you would um, help us, God, to walk it out, Lord. That 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 you would guide this conversation, and the fact that not only it would glorify you and it would just be um, edifying to us, God, but that. You know, maybe one, it could, this could fall in the hands of somebody who really needs to hear it. Oh God, and and needs to be encouraged because these 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 the, the diagnosis is very star- startling, and people lots of people respond with denial about it because they don't want to deal with it. But Lord, we just pray for courage, for courageous conversations, for a courageous and bold walk with you, Oh God, and and that um, most of all that it's not by clever words or anything that we do, but it's by the yeah. by your power mm-hmm. that people are brought into the kingdom and are matured in the kingdom. The mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Let the amen. church folk revolution say amen. Guys, welcome to the show. We have an extraordinary guest. Going to make but him, going to bring him on. Frank Viola, who also we call um, Frankie V. We got we to gotta give him the preemptive organ. Of, of all, always, all of our guests that come on to the show, everybody. They get our organ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to come. I got the organ warmed up. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We're ready. Brother, Brother Frank, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Church Folk Revolution Radio, brother. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. I'm honored. I really am. I've never uh, gotten an introduction like that before in my life, so uh, I'm encouraged now. <laughs> yes, yes, brother. We, uh, as, as you know, um, we're excited about uh, not, not only um, the project of, of pagan Christianity, but um, your the entire body of work. And, and, and the first question, as we welcome you in, um, tell us tell us about the moment that God gave you this this vision for this this project yeah that's a great question I guess it goes back many years ago where we're talking about 23 years ago I was like many of your listeners someone who had been part of many different uh, denominations and movements in the Christian world and in each of them there was a gnawing and I would say a, a craving in my heart that would say there's got to be something more than this. There just mm-hmm. has yeah. to be. Mm-hmm. And also, too, within my heart, the question would come, this doesn't seem to line up with what I read in the New Testament. Now, maybe I'm not reading the New Testament right, but it doesn't seem to line up. And I, I would ask my pastors questions. You know, mm-hmm. why don't we do this? Uh, why do we do this? Uh, how does this fit in with Scripture? And, uh, you know, none of the answers were very satisfying to me. So what I did with some other believers at that time is we left the institutional church. And we started meeting in a home, very simply, having fellowship, breaking bread, and seeking to follow and learn to know Jesus Christ together without a clergy, without a religious building, without anybody being paid. And we had no idea what we were doing. I will tell you that right now. (laughs) And we (laughs) thought we were alone. We thought we were the only ones doing this. But over the years, and through making many mistakes as well, 
we learned Jesus Christ in ways that we had never dreamed. And we understood for the first time what church, the church that we read about in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and Paul's epistles, what ecclesia really meant to the first century Christians. Now, this brings me right to your question. When we were meeting this way, we were asked by many different people, well, where do you go to church? And, of course, we didn't have a name, <laughs> so it was, it was hard to really say that. Well, we meet in a home. Who's your pastor? Well, we don't really have a pastor. You don't have a pastor. Well, who's your covering? Well, we <laughs> – and so we had a hard time answering these questions, and that put me on a quest to find out how did the church, the, the way we know church today, the traditional institutional church, where did it come from? And how did we get so far away from what we read about in the New Testament? That led me on a study for many years to find out, you know, how we got into the mess we got into and where things came from. And that was the birth of pagan Christianity. It's a historical book, as you know, and it just tells us where everything came from in terms of Protestant church practices. And then after every chapter, after you see where it all came from, things that we just assume are biblical, things we just assume that Jesus taught, then we ask the question, is this a departure from the New Testament teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles, or is it a development? And in many cases, George Barna and I have come to conclude that it is a departure. Many people have read that book in my other books, which I'll talk about, and, and here's what they say. I have known for years that something has been wrong with church as I have known it. I have sat in the pew. I have, I have either been disturbed or bored. I knew there was something more, and this book has given me language Mm-hmm. And it's giving, mm-hmm. it's giving me historical and biblical justification to feel the way I was feeling. And so yeah. it has released many Christians from guilt. Because, you know, yeah. when you start to question the institutional church and, and institutional leadership, the way it's done, the system, the structure, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's a lot of guilt attached to that. And, you know, God's people, we, we don't want to do something wrong. We don't want to be off the beam. And so this book has given lots of Christians permission, scriptural permission, historical permission, that their questions are justified. And and what I discovered, too, is that there has been a long lineage that goes way back into the early centuries of the Christian faith, where Christians have taken a stand, have stood outside the borders of institutional Christianity, and many of them were tortured and killed and murdered and persecuted, I mean, physically now. <laughs> and I dedicated pagan Christianity to them in the very beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, there, this is just awesome. And this is, there's so many questions that, that we wow. all have for you. That's just truly, truly, truly profound. Um, so I don't even know where to begin. So you, you said... You said that, you know, you have your church fellowship, your, the people, you know, you, yeah. a group of people of your people left the church that you were at and decided to do your mm-hmm. own home church. What does that look like, and how is it better? That's a great question, and, and this, is, this is a good segue for me to talk about the sequel to Pagan Christianity. Yeah. I often tell people that Pagan Christianity is not a standalone book. It's a curtain raiser, if, if you please. It's, mm-hmm. it's the deconstructive first part of, of the discussion that kind of does the tearing down work. You know, mm-hmm. if you can think of a house that has a corrupt foundation, a broken foundation, yeah. 
if you keep trying to build on that house, whether you paint the walls or you do refurbishing or remodeling, you're still going to have a problem because the cracks are in the foundation itself, you see? Yeah. And, and that's a lot of what modern-day church renewal and church restoration is. It's, it's patchwork. It's Band-Aids on a house that has cracks in the foundation. And what pagan mm-hmm. Christianity does is it, it, it exposes the cracks in the foundation. And it shows where they came from. The next book, the sequel, it's called Reimagining Church. That's the constructive work. That's the rebuilding of the new house on a new foundation. And what that does is it looks at the New Testament very carefully, goes into the Greek words, looks at the the story in Acts chronologically, Mm -hmm. along with the epistles, and paints a picture of what it was like if you were in the first century and you were meeting with those Christians, those early Christians in that day. And and we're not talking about going back to the way they dressed or the way they spoke. I mean, obviously, they didn't have computers. They didn't have the Internet. They wore togas and sandals. That's not what we're talking about. It's the vibrant life the community life, the authentic fellowship that they had with one another, the mutual Mm -hmm. sharing, and they did not have a clergy over them. And this is mind-boggling to many Christians because we read a clergy system into the New Testament because that's what we know. But when you really explore the New Testament carefully, you look at the Greek and so forth, and you look at the whole thing as a body, as as a... as a body of literature, and you take it in its chronological order, there was no clergy laity. Everyone was clergy. Everyone was laity. We just had different gifts. And so we began to touch this experience early on, and we began to learn how to function as a body of believers. We began to learn what the different giftings were in our group. We began to receive Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit from one another. And we begin to learn, I guess what we really learned is that Jesus Christ truly is the foundation for the church. And we learned what that meant experientially. And uh, as I said, we made a lot of mistakes too. So we got to see, well, you know, this doesn't work. This brings us away from Christ. But we learned Mm -hmm. so much in terms of what really does work and bring us closer to the Lord. And really a lot of this is so simple. You know, we've we've made things so complicated today, and it's just if we can strip back so much of what we have learned, it all comes back to knowing, experiencing, (laughs) loving this glorious person, the Lord Jesus Christ, together. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, Frankie V., when you started your own church gathering, what were some of the mistakes? Did they have to? Did you guys have to go through your own detox process? Absolutely, and detox is a word we actually use uh, because <laughs> it, it's not just you know moving Where's from a building to a house. In fact, meeting in a house is nothing magical about meeting in a home. You know, my passion is not the living room; it's a person. You know, Jesus Christ right. is head yeah. of His church. So we actually learned that it's not just where you locate, but it has to do with an entire mindset. And this really comes down to to stripping everything else back except for Jesus Christ. And the only motive uh, for even meeting this way, and and I feel the only motive for church to have church and, and the fellowship, is to know Christ together with other believers. We're just members of a body. And as a member, you know, the hand doesn't have it all. You know, neither does the arm, neither does the foot, neither does the leg. But when you put it all together, 
then Christ in his fullness is known and made known. So yes, there is a whole process of detoxification. Many groups assume that all they have to do is meet in a home, read a book, and then that's it. And what happens is, you know, our fallen nature kicks in. Community, when you really get close to other Christians, is very difficult. And this is one of the reasons why institutional Christianity is very popular. It's because it's easy. You know, Mm -hmm. I can sit in a pew on Sunday morning for two hours, and I'm a perfect Christian. It's not like my thoughts under control. I'm a perfect Christian for those two hours. You gotta work on that. You said, you said, you said, church is easy. See, when that, see, that's one thing that we do on the show. Like if anybody says anything that normally, if we were in the, we would start shouting, say, "Amen." We give you the organ. Today. All right, I like and that. Can you pat me on the back, though? <laughs> that is awesome, brother. Because I mean, it's so much of our challenge with the people that we're trying to reach is that they're so conditioned, you know, yeah. and yeah. they've they've been in this institution for so long and I want to pass it to Kevin cuz he had a question for you as well but I just I I I really thank you for um confirming something we were already beginning to get a little frustrated with There's so many things that uh that I want to ask you about uh in the book and and by the way you your other projects I've just downloaded your um your epic Amen. Jesus you got uh reimagining church you've got finding organic church mm-hmm. uh the untold story of the new testament church from here to eternity. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is where did the compulsion, the desire come from, or and how did you deal with the the opposition yeah. to you speaking? And, and I'm saying this from the perspective of, from the standpoint of, if you are not a person with a title, and this is what many of us have experienced, if you're not yeah. a person right. with a title, or if you don't have credentials, um, yeah. The right credentials. You're not qualified to speak on certain things. So I, I would, I'd like to know if you have any credentials. Not that it matters, but if you would, if you care to mention anything about about that on that subject of credentials or what gives you the the standing to say what you said in this book. Here is uh, the truth of the matter. I had an opportunity when, as a young Christian to uh, go to seminary and uh, train for the clergy. Now, that was before I left the organized church. But I felt the Lord led me not to go in that direction. I had no idea why. You know, I felt called of God to serve him. Uh, I was very serious uh, for the Lord. But looking back on it, I understand why. And by the way, I have no problem with somebody who, you know, I have friends who are in seminary and so forth. And many of my readers, believe it or not, have attended seminary or they're in seminary, and many of them have left. I felt that I wasn't supposed to do that. Now, I'll come right around and say this. I am a voracious reader, and I read what the scholars say. I have friends who are scholars. I can go nose-to-nose and toe-to-toe with just about any scholar. I, I say that soberly and with humility just to point out that you don't have to have a seminary degree to be able to speak on a scholarly level. Uh, there have been, in history, some of the greatest preachers. A.W. Tozer did not go to seminary. He, did not, he was not quote-unquote qualified. Uh, Same Mm -hmm. thing with Charles Spurgeon and many others Mm -hmm. I could list. I look at the first century and I see two models. One is Paul of Tarsus. Paul of Tarsus, as you know, was studied under Gamal. He was a rabbi. He was a Pharisee. He was, was, quote-unquote, trained religiously. Mm -hmm. And then you have Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
and he was a blue-collar worker. Uh, he did not go to the schools in Jerusalem to learn how to be a rabbi or a priest. He mm -hmm. was self-taught. He was taught by his father. And the men he chose to follow him and carry on his message, virtually all of them were fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. Peter couldn't read. Uh, most mm -hmm. of them couldn't read or write. And these were very illiterate men. But they had Jesus Christ dwelling in them. And when they preached and when they spoke, there was authority, there was reality. You know, the religious leaders took note that they had been with Jesus. Of course, Jesus stunned everybody because he spoke with authority, yet he had no training uh, religiously. That's kind of a short answer to your question. Yes, sir. One of the reasons I ask you that question is because it, it seems that the overwhelming majority of the information in your book, it, it, I mean, it's not hidden under a rock anywhere. That's right. So, so I wonder, what can you say about, I guess, the state of, uh, what's your opinion about the state of Christian education in the church today, given that we have, you know, we're in an age where we have pastors right. getting highly educated. W what do you think about that? I'll put it to you this way. On the one hand, studying books and reading history and learning from Greek and Hebrew scholars can be helpful. You know, I haven't gone to seminary, but I read those same books, and I've actually debated with scholars and professors of seminaries. You, if you go to paganchristianity.org, you'll see a link that has responses to critiques. And I've actually engaged very well-known New Testament scholars in debate. And it's quite interesting because you can see we're coming from a different place, yet we're speaking on a very scholarly level. But back to your question... A seminary education, I would put it to you this way, very limited. Mm -hmm. It can teach you academics. It can, it can give you education. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about the deep things of God, when we're talking about the intangible things of Jesus Christ, it comes up very short. And when I speak in churches and conferences and I share the Lord Jesus Christ in the depths of God's eternal purpose and so forth, Seminary trained men will come to me often with pen in hand and say, I have never heard anything like this before. I feel undone. I feel like I haven't learned anything in seminary and I was not properly prepared. Now, not everybody feels that way, but so many have written to me and said that. But I would say that seminaries are not training God's people to know Jesus Christ in the depths and to help God's people with handling the deeper things of God. Mm. One, one more question. Those, those pastors, those men that, that you mentioned, can you tell us about you know, one of them or some of them that have used your book maybe kind of as a, a catalyst to, to do things differently in their churches? Yeah, there's quite a few. I, a lot of my mail, believe it or not, comes from pastors. And I'm not talking about the hate mail. <laughs> I, do, I do receive on occasion, on occasion, I will receive the flaming, nasty hate mail. But most of the time, it's, it's from pastors coming from two different directions. Mm -hmm. In fact, on my blog, frankviola.org, somewhere in there in the archives, you could read letters from pastors. Pastors weigh in on pagan Christianity. And it, it, to me, it blew my mind because so many of them, they say the same thing. And what they say is this. They say, I have prepared for the ministry. I am a pastor of so-and-so years. And deep within my gut, I know that God has called me to his work, but he hasn't called me to this. You know, what do I do? Because 
I'm not qualified to do anything else but preach. And so now you have the financial question. And so I get a lot of letters like that. These guys are on their way out, and many of them have left the, uh, the pastorate. The other kind of letter comes from pastors who want to stay in the system. They aren't ready to leave for whatever reason, but they want to know, how can I give Jesus Christ in deeper, higher ways mm-hmm. to the people that I work with, and how can I release them into a more authentic fellowship and community? And... It's kind of difficult. Every situation is different for those kind of people because every church is different and every, every leader is different. i got one more quick question, Mr. Viola. All right. Be a, a little a little different. Have you ever heard from anyone who has read your book, Become an Atheist? The honest answer to that is no. However, I don't doubt that maybe that has happened. But I, I don't think a book can make you an atheist. I think if you're on your way to atheism... <laughs> You're on your way to atheism. (laughs) (laughs) The new project, you said that this book was part one, part two. Tell us about about the continuation and why there a need to write a part two. Pagan Christianity leaves everybody hanging because all it does is just slash and burn, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it just critiques <laughs> and tells you, you know, how we got in the mess we're in and why things are the way they are, but it doesn't really give any constructive solution. So it's kind of like, you know, you've just torched a house, but what are you going to put in its place, you know? <laughs> so reimagining church is the constructive side. It it answers the question, okay, if a now Christian what? leaves the institutional church, what do we do now? What does it actually look like? What about leadership? What about covering? What about elders? What about meetings? What about the Lord's Supper? All those questions. And so over the last 20-plus years of my experience, as well as studying Scripture, I give what I believe to be the biblical vision of the ecclesia and it's filled with scripture people can look at it and judge the arguments themselves and then i have in the back there's an appendix that asks every conceivable question that i know of every question i've been asked of over the years will people object and say well you're saying such and such what about this scripture and it answers those scriptures so that's the constructive sequel and shows us what the church you know, look like in the first century and its application for today. The third book, and if any of your listeners, you know, they don't know what to think of any of this and they want to read one book by Frank Viola, Mm -hmm. I would recommend From Eternity to Here. And what that is, it is a presentation of the breathtaking epic saga of God's eternal timeless purpose, why he created the grand narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and puts the Bible in a story, and you come away with it after reading it, and you now understand what our Lord has been after from the very beginning. And I'll just say this to kind of whet the appetite of of the listeners. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, and you, you kind of make a list of everything that you see in those two chapters, the tree of life, the flowing river, gold, pearl, precious stone, a man and a woman, marriage, a wedding, etc., and then, mm-hmm. and then you go to Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, you will find all of those themes reappear. And the entire Bible is the unfolding, the development of those themes in Genesis 1 and 2 that reappear in Revelation 21 and 22. 
Mm. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ, and it has everything to do with the church. But it's a great starter book. And then the other book is Finding Organic Church, and that answers all the practical questions. How, how does one start an organic church? How is it maintained? What are the problems, the common problems that you'll face? How do you detox? And so that's a very practical book for anybody who's interested in this journey from a practical perspective. And then finally, Jesus Manifesto. And that kind of is the, is the book that connects all of them together. It is an unveiling of the greatness of Jesus Christ, who he is, and how we have substituted his glorious person with so many other things that we have gotten distracted by, you know, religious things, mm-hmm. even biblical things. And we've missed the person of Christ. And so that's really my heart. Wow. Yay. Just yay. Um, let me ask you, I have a couple of questions that kind of uh, span a lot. Um, how do you feel about people who are in the IC right now? Or or do you ever get mad or frustrated at the at the pastors or the congregants? Or, or are you kind of, like, how do you, how does... Knowing what you know, how do you deal with that emotionally in light of what's really going on? That has changed over the years. At first, when I came to see a lot of these things and I left the institutional church, I was frustrated that other people didn't see what I saw and didn't really understand that. But, I mean, in my own spiritual life, I walk by the light that I have. I don't have all the light that God is going to give me. If he is merciful to me, he will show me more light. And, you know, I am not a perfect Christian, and there's not a perfect Christian in this planet. So I am very, very careful not to judge other believers. You know, the old saying goes, don't judge another man unless you walk two miles in his moccasins. We're all in different places, and I accept that. And I'm not somebody who comes off saying that, you know, it's my way or the highway. And I realize that God, even though I believe, I firmly believe that God's best is not what we see on the planet today in the form of the traditional denominational church. However, I also recognize that despite of that, he will use whatever he can to touch his people and to help his people, even if it limits him in many ways. For example, Mm -hmm. I owe my salvation to the institutional church. God used that to save me. I was baptized in the institutional church. And this may surprise some people, but every pastor that I had when I was in the institutional church were men that I regarded as godly. They were friends of mine. They helped me spiritually. I was never hurt or abused by a pastor in the institutional church. Now, I know there are many, many people have, have a different experience, and I understand that. I mean, I've wept with people who were brutalized, but I've never had that experience. And I still have friends today who are pastors wow. in the institutional church, and they receive me as a brother. I receive them as a brother. But we disagree over the church, but that doesn't break our fellowship because our union, our fellowship is Jesus Christ. It's not one's view of the church. Mm -hmm. The the thing that frustrates me is when someone doesn't read my book or they hear a rumor about it or they hear hearsay about it, and then they accept that as fact and then they misrepresent it. And Mm -hmm. in the human level that bothers me because it's so intellectually dishonest, and it's so irresponsible. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I have learned to see all things that come into my life as first passing through the hands of my sovereign Lord. And so I say, it is well with my soul, Lord. Even though mm-hmm. I don't like this, you're doing it for a reason. And, you know, there's a real humbling effect that happens mm-hmm. when these kind of things happen to you. 
And so I have learned, as Paul said in Romans 8, all things, not just good things, but all things work together for the good to those who love God and who are called God to the eternal purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I receive that as coming from the hand of God, even though... You know, it's wrong, even though it frustrates me. I've learned to make peace with it and just give it to the Lord. I wrote a blog post called Misrepresentations. It's on my um, blog, frankviola.org. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's the story of one young man who was told, was warned against reading pagan Christianity. He didn't read it for many, many days and years and months. I don't know if it's many years, but many months at least. He was a pastor, and he was warned against reading it. And the people who were warning him against reading it were were misrepresenting it, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, God kept putting it on his heart to read it. Every time he prayed, every time he prayed, that book would come into his head. And then he was at the Barnes & Noble one day, and he's walking through the aisles, and there it is, a little red book just staring at him. And he knew in his heart, I need to get this book. He read it. It changed his life. And one of the things that I realized from that was that if he had read it months before or years before, he could not receive the message. He wasn't mm-hmm. ready for it. Yeah, but he was ready for it. And so I look at if somebody's misrepresenting my book, God is allowing that for a reason. He's going to triumph over that. He has his timing. He has his way. Maybe he's doing something in my life through that. And Mm -hmm. so I've made peace with it. First of all, I just want to chime in here, you guys. I am loving this this program this morning. Yes, yes, yes. um, as somebody who has uh frank uh has been devouring all of your material here lately uh and I have been posting it in our Facebook group, and a lot of folks have been grabbing some of the books. I just want to say fantastic um but one of the quotes, and I just want to turn this a little bit to toward leadership um because those of us who have worked in some type of ministry who have done some type of some type of seminary schooling. Um, And you have a wonderful quote in the book on page 182 from Upton Sinclair where it says, It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. I understand that a lot of my fellow, uh, you know, preachers in gospel have come to this type of an understanding, and they understand what we're doing is not actually modeled in the Scripture. So what do you what do you equate them continuing or, or perpetuating this type of churchanity, if you will, or this institutionalized church? What do you equate them continuing to do that, even though it goes against everything that they even know within themselves? What would you say, besides the, the financial aspect of it, what do you think would, would make an individual continue to do that? Well, let me first say that I am a person who has learned over the years never to judge another man or woman's motive. Uh, we can judge their actions. We can evaluate if something they do is right or wrong, but their motives, the only God knows the heart. You know, if you've ever had your motives judged by somebody, you know how that feels. And right. it destroys relationships. So that's that's how I'll start, is saying I cannot see into a person's heart. I will tell you this, that many people who are in that position and fit that description have confessed to me that a number of things were at work. Some people have said they really want out of the clergy system. And by the way, let me interject this. Right now, as we speak, 1,700 pastors in the United States leave the clergy system, leave the pastorate every month. Mm -hmm. 
1700 okay? 1700 Now, wow. seven, that's, that's mind-blowing. That's every month in the United States. And I talk to many of them. Now, here's what they say. They say, I'm ready to get out. I feel that God wants me out, but I have to feed my family. And honestly, mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that. And that's a legitimate concern, and I sympathize with it. Other people have confessed to me that it was power. I mean, when you're the man, you know, behind the pulpit, and you have a captive audience every week, a lot of people have expressed that they're addicted to preaching, they're addicted to the applause, they're addicted to their honor, the honor that they get, and their identity is wrapped up in that. And another reason is sometimes someone will, you know, have a family member. A spouse, for example, that's dead set against these kinds of ideas. So I don't think there's any pat answer. I think it's different for every person. The beauty of being a Christian is that we have a God who's big enough to handle everything. And we just need to handle ourselves. Like Jesus said to Peter, who said, well, what about John at the end of the Gospel of John? And Jesus told Peter his death, how he's going to die. And and Peter says, well, what about him? And Jesus said, it's none of your business how I deal with John. You follow me. And so I think Mm -hmm. that's a healthy way of looking at this. We're not responsible for other people, what they do, their decisions. Most of us have a hard enough time managing our own lives, you know what I mean? (laughs) And so, and the, the real key here is let us, let each of us be faithful to the light that we have. That is the call to gospel, not to someone else's light, not responsible for someone else, but to be faithful to the light that we have. We are to be, you know, as harmless as doves, as wise as serpents, and to always have the spirit of the Lamb upon us and never try to attack if someone's attacking us, not to defend ourselves, but to turn to the Lord, turn the other cheek, and let him have his way. And these are just some of the lessons I've learned over the years in taking this path. There are people over the years in my life that the Lord made very clear this person is not ready to hear whatever it is that I wanted to say to them and just to wait mm-hmm. on him. Other people, maybe I didn't really want to talk to them, but, but God put on my heart to talk to them, and it turned out it was the right timing. Just like anything else, even sharing the gospel with a lost person, you know, there has to be the sensitivity to follow the leading of the Spirit and to, and mm. to wait on the right time. You know, Proverbs so often talks about a word in due season. And there's something to that. And when we, look at, when we look at Jesus, oftentimes in his ministry, he wouldn't talk to certain people about certain things. And then later he would. We kind of see this, this very spontaneous movement of the Lord and how he dealt with different people. You know, the way he talked to the Pharisees, for example, was different than the way he talked to the publicans and tax collectors. And even there we see differences in how he talked to, say, Nicodemus than from how he talked to certain Sadducees. So... I think we just need to learn how to be sensitive. And again, I'm just speaking from my experience, you know, how Mm -hmm. to give that word in due season. In Isaiah, it talks about having the tongue of the learned to give to him who who has need at that particular time. And and so I think a lot of it has to do with that. One thing we don't want to do is we don't want to, and this is very easy to, to come by with people who, you know, first see these truths. There's anger, you know. A lot of Christians are angry when they first realize that they've been lied to. You have to vent. 
there has to be a place and you know you have to find people who you can vent with who understand but then that season of venting should end and we need to go on to the constructive work of seeking Jesus Christ and learning yeah. how to know him together and i've watched groups crash and burn because they never got past the venting stage you know yeah. every time they meet it's yeah. all just you know trashing the institutional church and talking about how the pastor hurt me and so i think again we need to be sensitive to the season for that let's get that out of our system and then let's go on to pursuing and following this glorious person Jesus Christ. And for me, when I talk about organic church, body life, it all comes down to knowing, experiencing, expressing, and following Christ. It's not separate from that. Amen. Uh, Liberty, you're the last one. We want to be special of your time, yes. Frank Z. Thank you, V. Thank you, right. And we just thank you so much for just, uh, I love how even in your conversation, it all points towards God. It all points toward leading the Holy Spirit, all points towards Christ. I love the way that you ha- how your your the, the light that you that you have has, is is expressing itself in the way that you communicate. I love it. Um, what would you for the person that's reading your book or thinking about reading your book that's confronted with um, who is who is startled by what you're saying? And knows that there's some truth to it, but is is confronted and, and maybe dealing with issues of fear or like what have I done? And and sometimes mm. it's easier to stick their head head in the in the, the sand like an ostrich or ear, yeah. and, and it, or it's going to really cost them something financial, relational, or something. Yeah. That what would you say to them? Well, I would just say this: that God, who created us. God who designed us, God who created the church and designed the church, his way is better than our way. And if the Lord is convicting you, if the Lord is shining his light on you, of course you have a choice to just turn your back on that or put it on the shelf, or you can let it touch your heart and do something about it in responding to it. My word to you is, if the Lord is showing you something, and truth resonates, you'll be a lot better off. You'll be a happier Christian. Nothing beats being obedient to the Lord to submit yourself and to follow him. Even if you're afraid, even if you have a lot of the unknown before you, put him in the driver's seat. Get out of the driver's seat because, honestly, we don't know how to drive. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that's what I would say. And I would say, too, if you're struggling, two things. One, bring it to him. And tell him how you feel. Lord, I'm struggling with this. And, you know, he will answer. He will respond to the the open and honest heart that truly wants to follow him. He will respond in ways that we can't even imagine or conceive. And the second thing is, as an author who writes books, as a young Christian who read many books, I was so frustrated with the fact that so many authors were unapproachable. I read their book. I had questions, but I can't get to them. You know, it's like, uh, it's good luck. It's like trying to get a hold of Tom Cruise or Eddie Murphy or somebody. They're like celebrities. You can't get through. And I made a decision that when I was going to write a book, I was going to be accessible. And so people can go to my blog, frankviola.org, and they can ask me questions. And, you know, I don't have all the answers. I know how to say I don't know. But if I have an answer and if I can illuminate something, I certainly will. You know, we're all in this together. We're all trying to follow the Savior together. 
And so I want to be of help to God's people in that endeavor, especially when it comes to anything that I have written or spoken. Amen, my brother. Before I let you go, can you mention the books again? Yes, sir. I appreciate that. Pagan Christianity, which you all have been graciously talking about. Reimagining Church, and that is the constructive sequel to Pagan Christianity. From Eternity to Here, Finding Organic Church, Jesus Manifesto. And uh, the only other thing I'll add is, as you discuss Pagan Christianity, if you go to PaganChristianity.org, O-R-G, one word, PaganChristianity.org, you will see many resources, including question answers, debates with Mm -hmm. scholars, objections answered by Georgia Barnett and myself. We appreciate your time, and we wanted to get the most out of it. We want to invite you back um, to come back on, and and hopefully next time we can open up a forum. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Frank. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Thank you, Frankie B. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Frankie B. And so much more, guys. We we appreciate everything.